Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. Check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Osiris. Welcome to the Undermine Podcast. I'm your host, RJB. If it appears that there's a tall gentleman missing from your video or or the voice on your audio, you're not wrong. I'm solo today, but it's not because Tom is in jail or because he was fired, although both of those things happened last week. Today, I'm flying solo because I have two amazing guests who are going to help us usher in this beautiful era that we call Fall 97. And today we're talking about 11-13-97. And I'm going to bring our guests in in just a second. Uh, I just need to say, if you're enjoying what we're doing, please consider supporting our new Osiris Premium offering. Check out osirispod.com slash premium. You can get ad-free episodes, access to the full Under the Scales catalog, HF Pod and Undermind, ad-free and, and more. And it really helps support this small business that we're building. And the other thing is that we know a lot of you all have memories of these Fall 97 shows, and we have guests for all of our shows already, but we do want to hear from you. So please send us a video clip of you talking about one of the shows or, or however many shows you want. 60 seconds max. Uh, post them on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, tag Osiris Pod. We're going to choose a contributor at random who will get a handwritten copy of the lyrics to Ghost from Tom Marshall. All right. So on to the show. Today, we have two of the longest serving and most prolific fish commentators, contributors, troublemakers. I'm going to bring in Charlie Dirksen and Drew Hitz. Hey, guys. What's up? Hey, welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Um, Charlie, you um, you were on talking about an, an earlier show, Drew, you were on most recently, but we had to have you guys both back to kick off this wonderful adventure that we call Fall ninety seven. This is what we've been building up to, so no pressure. But we gotta, we gotta, de- we gotta deliver here. Um, <laughs> Drew will do that. Drew will deliver. <laughs> yeah, dude, yeah, exactly. We've been building up to. It. Um, so, guys, I guess before we get into the show, can we, can one of you guys or both of you guys tell us what we need to know about? First of all, what's going on with Mockingbird and Giving Tuesday, which is going to come coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, tell people what they need to know. We've talked about it a little bit with with other members of the community this season. But I think a quick refresher um, about what people can do to support music education would be would be helpful. You're on, Charlie. Oh, am I? Um, I was hoping you would feel that <laughs> given that I'm ill. Um, if I start coughing, I apologize now. Mockingbird Foundation was uh, founded in October 1996 by Fish Fans. It's all volunteer run. Uh, we raise funds for music education programs for children and young adults nationwide. Um, we helped compile the first edition of the Fish Companion and the second and third editions as well. 
Um, there was even a tribute album uh, decades ago uh, of Fish covers um, that did really well, sold a lot of CDs and raised um, over $100,000 for music education programs for children. And in the last 22 years, we've donated, I believe it's now over $1.2 million dollars. Uh, in grants to music education programs for children and young adults. It's over, it's over 2 million. Is it over 2 million now? I apologize. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot more than 1.2 million. That's My math is, uh, is poor this morning. I, uh, anyway, um, for those who don't know, uh, we, the volunteers of, of Mockingbird also run Fishnet, or at least some of them do. Um, and, we have no paid staff. Everybody is a volunteer, which is why if you submit a correction to Fishnet, um, you may not get a response. <laughs> uh, we're all volunteers with day jobs. Um, and please think of Mockingbird.org uh, on Giving Tuesday, which is coming up shortly. Um, every dollar really does count. It's a cliche, but it's true. And um, we also, obviously, enormously appreciate all of our prior donors. Without you, we would not exist. It's really that simple. And, uh, and those donors include, of course, Fish and the Waterwheel Foundation and Kevin Shapiro and Beth Montori Riles and everyone who, and Julia, who, everyone who puts Fish Inc. Uh, together and helps make Fish amazing. Thank you all. Awesome. That's my speech. Yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one. Drew, do you have anything to add or, or should we talk about fish? No, I, I was uh, disappointed in Charlie's math, but uh, you know. Yeah, that, that's, that was, I'm also disappointed in my math <laughs> for the record. <laughs> yeah. And, and Drew, you're, you're disappointed with half of my opinions. What? <laughs> <laughs> that's what you told me on Twitter the other day. So that's, we'll he, see. He was we'll being conservative, half, RJ. He's being know, polite. I know. We'll see what, what half, half appears today. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to be so clear, guys. it was only your only your fish opinions that I threw okay. under the bus. It wasn't your opinions in general. I, I agree with everything you say, other than other than your thoughts. Thank on you. That's Thank for you another so podcast, Drew. That's for Thank you podcast. so much. Um, did you guys? Okay, so we, we're finally here at Fall '97. Did Did you guys know what you were getting into when you saw these these Fall '97 shows, and especially <laughs> kicking this off in in Las Vegas? I mean, what, what are your memories of, of going to this show and, and what were you were expecting, if anything, out of this tour, you know, after a kind of a weird, um, summer, you know, it was sort of a strange summer. I don't know. True. What do you, what do you think? By strange summer, do you mean the incredible summer? I'm, I'm guessing. Or is this right? yeah. 50, no, no, 50%. no. I, well, I guess what I mean is there, you know, a couple of Europe tours, there's, then there's the summer tour, but we were all hearing more, more new music and we weren't, I was confused. Like I was getting tapes and then there was Europe shows and then they, they went on the summer tour and everything seems to have, seem to have changed again, you know, like it did in 95 and 96. So I don't know. I'm just like, I, I'm putting myself at my first fall show, which is a few shows after this, but this is just like, this is, it's the beginning of a new era. And I'm just curious if that like was, was evident going in. Yeah. I mean, back then they used to evolve. Um, and, uh, I don't, I don't need any emails. Uh, they are still evolving, which is one of the most remarkable things about them, uh, creatively. Cause at this point, uh, with the size of their houses and, um, and with how long they've been doing this, they don't need to evolve at all. And we're all still going to go and they are still evolving. But back then uh, they evolved like it was rapidly, um, you know, the, the costume sets, uh, which there wasn't one in 97, of course, but the costume sets like, you know, like remain in light the year before was like heavily influenced them uh, even in retrospect as they were learning it. Um, you know, so there was just a, a lot of change uh, back then. Um, I went in, uh, I went in with low expectations only because it was a tour opener. Um, and, uh, my low expectations were, uh, were warranted for the place that Charlie and I stayed together. Uh, it was the golden nugget. Is that right? Like thing was like, uh, the thing, frontier. Oh, the frontier, right. The, yes. Yeah, the frontier. Even worse. It was worse than the golden <laughs> nugget. Even yes. more majestic. The frontier. <laughs> it, was, it was like torn down like two months nugget. later. It was, it was awful. Uh, it was a bleak it, scene. Yeah. It was, you know, it was like 20 bucks. So we thought it'd be nice and fancy. Um, but, uh, you know, the tour openers in general, um, and, and this is still true to this day, um, which this is just the nature of improvisational, uh, music, uh, and music in general is that it just takes a little while, no matter how good you are, how prepared you are to gel those conversations. And, uh, and this, this show, I, uh, I saw another, I think I saw another 11 shows, including the new year's run, uh, between fall and new year's after this one. 
Um, and this is not one of the strongest ones. And reviewing this for this, it's like there's absolutely incredible stuff in this show. Uh, you know, that's the thing is that the floor for 1997 uh, is like sky high. Um, and this isn't quite on the floor, but, um, you know, there wasn't uh, this show didn't have incredible flow. Um, you know, there was some stuff that was lacking. But um, but like in general, for example, in general, I'm like. I'm uh, if I get to just if I'm ruler of the world, I'm I'm opposed to like fourth quarter mic screws because generally they tend to be paint by numbers and just mm -hmm. the mic songs is kind of, kind of short and to the point. And then the week of Pog, you know, it's just all very predictable. And this is a fourth quarter mic's groove where the mics like the first jam is is incredible. Uh, and then the second jam is incredible. Almost Im immediately sounds like they are thinking about hydrogen, but it takes them like four or five minutes to get there. Uh, and then the Wikipog is uh, is just like a shred fest, um, and so they they were they they hit the ground running on this tour uh, in a in a way that uh, I'm not sure that they ever have again. Uh, you know, for summer '97 started strong too, but that's because th less than three weeks earlier they had been touring in Europe, so that doesn't really yeah. count. And that Europe tour started slowly by that standard, um, but they yeah, and then of course you know Denver's right around the corner. I mean, like they they came in uh, hot. to that is that there was no halloween so my expectations were were low as well for the reasons drew articulated but they the fact is it was vegas <laughs> it was also a large venue so i knew there wasn't going to be a problem with tickets and um and i and there was because there was no halloween and, and because there were so many amazing funky shows over the summer um you know i was expecting a continuation really of that. Um, and we got it obviously in black eyed Katie in particular, that was, I went back and looked at what I posted to fishnet or uh, break music fish and on November 14th, 1997 about the show. And, uh, black eyed Katie was, was thrilling to me at the time. And, and it was, I wrote at the time that it was, it seemed to be sort of a continuation of all the funky elements of Oslo Sprox and Arthrustra and, and, Wolfmans and ghosts and so on. And, um, from the summer all in one song, um, one instrumental. And, um, and that was just a huge highlight, uh, from that, from that opening, you know, the opening few songs. Um, and, and of course theme was also really good. So I don't know. I think, I, I think I started it with low expectations for the reasons you said, but, uh, but I mean, I, I, I'm sure as the show went on, um, my expectations soared because I was just so, blown away i think by that by those opening numbers they were all played really well so yeah the theme but, is stunning but, you know the theme from the bottom yeah, is is it's stunning it's like 10 minutes long it's uh there's uh there uh, that tune uh, back then uh, in particular uh used to swing so hard and it was uh there's like most of it features Trey uh, like playing a lot of long notes, just kind of soaring over the group while there's just like just churning underneath. And um, there's not a lot of uh, not a lot of bands uh, that uh, certainly that are in this space. Uh, I can't think of any. Um, again, I don't need any email, but uh, you should just email. Uh, yeah, what is it? Charlie at ember org is my uh, that's that's my email address. Um, Charlie and Fish. The, yeah, yeah that's it. Um, but like that can com that can combine those two flavors like that strongly um, with like with the thing like with the sing thing swinging so hard and with it being so powerful underneath and with Trey just floating on top. And again, this was like you know this was the third song of the first set of the entire tour. Yeah. Um, and that's that's a that's a remarkable theme from the bottom.
how uh, Black Eyed Katie, we got to just talk about that quickly, because like you said, Charlie, I, I mean, it's sort of a more refined kind of combination of all this stuff that we heard in the summer and in Amsterdam. And just going back to these early 97 shows, you can hear elements of this. But this song, like kind of uh, it kind of set everything in, in motion in this particular direction where people just like this is a new funk jam. I mean, what were what were you guys thinking when this this debuted? Because obviously we heard it evolve over time as well. You could hear me scream like a girl in one of the recordings, actually. I was right by the taper section for the show, and um, I checked re-listen, and it's not that version, but like there, I got a copy of the tapes, and you can hear me scream like at the beginning, because I was right by the taper section. know because it became mama dance i mean right away it's catchy it's funky um and uh i was thrilled from the very start of that song um i really was and and uh my recap of the show on rec music fish says as much too i was used a lot of all caps (laughs) which uh (laughs) represented screaming uh in common parlance back then on the internet (laughs) um right so uh so no it was was a huge it was a huge deal and i i mean drew you might remember it differently but i I, i'm pretty sure other people were thrilled by it i mean you know really thrilled but my our our dog tater is apparently thrilled as well by it (laughs) just the mere mention of it i don't know if you can hear him barking yeah, that was, that was like a giant dance party. I mean, you know, and, and uh, it, it's uh, there's I'm not a huge fan of uh, of MoMA dance. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I enjoy it fine. But like when it starts, I kind of go like, uh, you know, there's there are other ways yeah. since, you know, every set has only so much pie and I'd rather not use eight or nine minutes for that. Um, but it's because a lot of MoMA is. um I think is pretty predictable. Um, yeah. And like one of my favorite bands in the world is ACDC, uh, which is like the most predictable band in history. Um, but uh, one of them, like so predictable, doesn't equal bad. Um, but does that, you know, but Black Eyed Katie um, is since it's just a, it's just the groove with like, you know, just a little bit of composed in there. It like forces them to really kind of dig deep. It's similar to um, the uh, Trey Anastasio band tour last year when, uh, when Fishman had to hop on and when the horns were not there and it was just Fishman and Trey and, uh, and keyboards and, uh, and bass. And they, out of necessity, they had to dig really deep into, you know, so they were stretching everything out to 10 to 18 minutes long. Um, I love that kind of thing. And that's what Black Eyed Katie was good for because it was just like an open-ended, um, you know, it was like a, I don't know, like a CGM blues riff, uh, you know, on a jazz gig, which like, there's nothing to the riff. That's the whole point. And mm-hmm. then you just have a conference, just a conversation starter. And then you just go from there. And so, yeah, I was, I was uh, also exclamation point, um, exclamation pointing. Yes. <laughs> Do you think they did that, that they, they wrote this song or, or debuted this song for that reason? Like just to, to allow that kind of jamming to, to just happen within the, within a song structure? I, I don't know. It's a good, it's a good question. Yeah. I'd, I'd be curious to know like how it became a song because uh, you know, I've been, I've been lucky enough to see them uh, do a couple of sound checks and, and when they just jam and sound checks, they, uh, because they've been doing it for so long and specifically so long with each other, they stumble on grooves like all the time that could easily become, uh, you know, like most other bands' best song ever, right? And they just like, and it's just like they, and they're, and it's gone within like, you know, four to six minutes. Uh, and yet, like Tweezer, which came out of a sound check, uh, you know, that riff or this Black Eyed Katie riff, like for whatever reason, 
there was something, uh, and I don't know whether they set out to, uh, that'd, that'd be a, that's a very fascinating question, whether they set out to come up with like an open-ended, uh, you know, riff funk-based thing, or whether it emerged from, um, you know, from a sound check. I, I'm not sure. Well, it definitely put us on this path, or at least kept us on this path, like more in a focused way. Um, Andrew, you mentioned earlier, like the, the first set's a little bit uneven. I mean, the show is is a little bit uneven. There's just some some ups and downs, but this you enjoy myself really solid you enjoy myself in set one i was i don't know it's just it's interesting at the end of set one and an a tour opener that 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 would um that would be brought out and i think a really solid version um clearly like you know just reinforcing the theme of hitting the ground running here in the first show yep yeah Pretty yeah awesome. the, the i i think that the um i personally don't need to have a show have great flow to leave uh, really happy I also don't have to uh, leave, you know, there doesn't have to be two incredible sets for me to leave a show happy. Uh, my go-to example is always that no one was walking out of, uh, you know, after the Albany Yem saying like, yeah, but the first set was only like, you know, a four out of 10 by December 95 standards, which the first set might've been like a three out of 10 by December 95 standards, which is like the highest standards the band has ever had in my opinion. But like, yeah, everyone was just walking out talking about the Yem. And, uh, and this, you know, like it was just even just like what the tunes were. I, I, I think personally uh, a set, like in terms of the flow, it's like a, it's like a great meal where it's not just how well everything is cooked and how good the dish is. It's like also just the order it comes in, like it's just the overall experience. And, um, and sometimes like the flow of the set list can seem a little bit scattershot, which, uh, which this one, like super exploratory. Uh, well, sorry, I'll let you get to the second set when you get to the second set. But, um, but you know, it's like, there's uh, yeah, it, it kind of feels like the seatbelt is locking a little bit uh, at times. Uh, and yet the highlights are, uh, are genuine, awesome highlights. I had forgotten. I, I've, it's funny. I remember that this show is always better than I think it is, but I, but on listening to, to prepare for this, I had forgotten just how much better it was than I, you know, like when I think fall 95 for the shows that I attended, like I'm always going back to the, to, to Hartford, um, you know, fall you what now? Yes. Yes. Fall yes. 97. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't know what I just said. Something other than that. Uh, the, uh, you know, I, I'm always going back to, to the Hartford, uh, show, um, which was uh, Scott Marx's first show. Cause he's yeah. kind of a, a newish fan. Um, the, uh, or like the, you know, the Worcester shows right after that. Um, you know, but, but this one, it's like, again, the highlights are, are really, really quite impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Same, same here. I'd, I'd rarely go back to the show, but it's fun to go back to now. I mean, there's, there's some really good stuff in here. I assume that you guys had seen or, or heard, uh, heard at least my soul and some of these, these songs that were debuted earlier that year, either summer or Europe. Um, so they're probably black. Eyed Kate is probably the only song that was like brand new to most of the people there. Right. Cause the tapes yes. from February and beyond you've already heard. Um, is there anything else from set one you guys would point out before we, before we jump <laughs> into the next set? I mean, the, you enjoy myself, obviously. I mean, right from right from the start of the the jam segment, Trace got a theme, and he's on a theme, and he starts just repeating the crap out of it, and and it's a it's a fantastic version, even for uh, mid mid '90s. You know, it's uh, excellent. Must hear, yeah. as they say. Must hear, so, as they say, as yeah. they say, as as Fish.net says, being the they here. Yeah. Well. You know, that's where hey, we couldn't do any of this without without fish.net. So, um, all right, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and talk about set two. Hey, listeners, I want to tell you about one of our great partners, DistroKid. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings. If you're a musician and looking to get your music out there, DistroKid is the way to go. DistroKid is available for iOS and Android and is now available in Apple's App Store and the Google Play Store. More than a million artists rely on DistroKid to get their music onto Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all other major streaming services. And with DistroKid, you can upload new releases, see your financial progress, get notified when you've earned royalties, withdraw money from the app, view and share links, check your streaming stats, and a whole lot more. DistroKid has more features than any other music distributor. Check them out today. Go to distrokid.com, that's distrokid with a capital K, dot com slash VIP slash undermine for a special offer only for our listeners. That's distrokid, capital K, dot com slash VIP slash undermine. 
Thanks, Distro Kid. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. Get down! The Wrath of the Buzzer. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles. The Wrath of the Buzzard. P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. We're back. Um, Drew, this set two kicks off with a monstrous stash. Um, and I, I, I wonder at this point, like by the end of Fall 97, we're sort of expecting some of these songs that that you don't always see jammed out in the same spots to to be jammed out in different spots but did this take anyone by surprise or what was your take kind of going into this second set once the stash kind of went out there well first of all uh stash is not a very common set opener uh either first or second set i mean that's not unprecedented but there have not been uh that many Uh, and so that was already weird and then um you know they they really opened it up um where there were um i don't i don't remember three at least like distinctive sections of a stash jam which is um which is not that common right um uh, not unprecedented but not common and especially in that second set and the the end of it um i thought was uh, was beautiful um you know it was it was very uh it's very quiet and it's very um you know, it's kind of meandering, uh, but which I don't use that in a, a bad way here. Um, but, you know, it's uh, and especially considering like what's a what's going to come later in the set, which uh, there's a lot of not meandering. It's like very in your face. So, um, you know, again, in the in the interest of a good meal, there's, uh, you know, they kind of go through go through a lot of emotions. Um, Charlie, anything anything you want to add on the stash? Because I want to I, I do want to no. no, nothing I want to add. Um, so punching the eye second, second slot here in the second set, which again, like, you know, opens, open sets in these, in these days, but it, it's starting to become more common in the second set, but I don't know. I just think about it as an opener. Um, but I, I don't know that in right now, if they were to play punching the eye in the second slot of the second set, I would, I would feel like it was probably a little bit of a slowdown in the energy, but that's just the era, right? I mean, this just like keeps, it keeps pushing it forward i actually think it's caspian same thing you know like there i don't think there's really a drop at this point in the in the energy but drew how do you feel about the way this set evolves um getting toward that 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 last uh trio of songs you mentioned earlier well um you know the uh punch you in the eye uh used to be um much more um much more aggressively played, I guess would be the way that I would put it. Um, you know, it was much more like, you know, on, you know, leaning forward on the beat, um, you know, a lot more driving angry, um, which was, uh, which isn't better or worse. It's just a very different thing, uh, compared to, uh, to what it is today. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that actually, that, that brought the energy way back up, uh, because of, um, because of the, um, because the end of the stash is very, very, uh, you know, very mellow, like the last like five or six minutes of that stash, yeah. which I thought was great. Um, and then uh, the Caspian and Bounce, and I'm not the best guy to ask because those are, uh, you know, those are both in my bottom whatever uh, you know, <laughs> fish songs, uh, even though I'm told the Caspian uh, is on the jam chart. So I guess it's good, although I have not uh, heard it since uh, November 13th, 1997. <laughs> <laughs> you can go back and listen to it for this <laughs> Uh, I, I did not have time to listen to the whole <laughs> show, so uh, so no, I I, uh, I I did not. You listen to everything except the Caspian. No, it's no, it's good. I, I, you know, it's like I didn't listen to the zero. I mean, you know, yeah. it's like I yeah yeah. I mean, I I, I knew that. Um, yeah, and and I also know like what I, I'm sure it's good, but it's also not like legendary. It's not like there's yeah. some like crazy uh, you know right turn. If it if it had been, then I would have. Uh, I would have just bit the bullet and uh, yeah. and done it, but uh, but yeah, yeah, Charlie told me I didn't have to. So <laughs> it's a good, I mean, it's good soloing, good, very, very soulful, you know, playing from Trey, which is you know happens a lot in in the Caspians here. But this, I would talk about the Mike's group, but one of the themes of this tour, I think that we'll talk about um, in a lot of subsequent shows, like it's very balanced in the kinds of music and the style they're playing, even though it's in my mind and in a lot of people's minds, it's all about like the funk jams, but 
they were really well balanced, you know, and I think this Mike's is a good example. There's like a really, really melodic groove. That's really great that I, I think every fall 97 jam that I like when I go to listen to it, I just expect it to be a funk jam, you know, but then you, you kind of dig into it and you realize there's like, there's a lot going on here um, that I think is overlooked because of that, like the prominence of that kind of funky groove. Does that make sense, Drew? Uh, completely. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the misconception that, um, that fall 97 is nobody says all, but is primarily funk grooves, um, is, um, or that the jams are, are all similar, um, is just somebody who is not listening to the same music that I am listening to. So it reminds me actually of like the 2.0 is all uh car crash, uh, people, which, um, which there's like some of um, there's obviously there there is a whole bunch of that, but there's also some of the most like nuanced and intricate conversations that the band has ever had in their history happened uh, in 2.0. So um, so the people that just kind of paint that with a broad brush again, it's um, you know you live in Philly now, RJ. It's like if someone has an opinion of Pats versus Genos and they don't say <laughs> neither, then you can safely ignore every other food opinion that they ever <laughs> share with you for the rest of time. So uh, totally anyway, true. Yep, moving right along. Uh, so yeah, I, you know, I it was. Um, I, I think that I love the funk stuff, but there's like, I mean, I don't know a single show in Fall '97 that is just that relies on it as a crutch. Like I, you know, to to my ears, like not not a single not a single set even. So yeah, I'm not sure really where that comes from. But and 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 this Mike's really uh, you mentioned as the as the the king of the second jam. Um, what what happens here when we get into the second jam? Because I feel like there's like a you know, it's sort of typical for a few minutes, but but it gets out there. I think it's 15 minutes or so total, but um, there's some interesting stuff happening here. Especially for so late in the second set, as I already said. Um, and the the first uh, the first jam is also quite um, you know is again for where it happens in the in the show um, is is extended. You know, it's like a full 10 minutes. And uh, there's some there's some really really great stuff in there. Um, at one point, uh, maybe three quarters of the way through that first jam, Fishman um, changes the groove a little bit, and uh, Trey stops what he's doing and uh, and digs really hard into this uh, into a rhythm a guitar lick for only about four bars to really kind of solidify uh, the groove, and then like launches into more soloing, which is. Uh, which is something that he actually did an awful lot of uh, summer 2022 as well, um, which is to like change the thing, wait for the band to change around him and then go back to soloing. Um, so he was kind of leading even via, uh, you know, background parts. Um, but then, so then the second jam, when that starts, um, you know, it, uh, it drops in and uh, almost immediately chills way out. Um, it's uh, you know, it's uh, because the first jam was uh, you know, was, uh, was, very uh intentional playing uh throughout the whole thing there was no wavering there and then that that kind of mellows out a little bit and uh you can almost I, I i know i already said this but you can like it they're not segueing into hydrogen for four straight minutes but you can almost hear it a little bit which i remembered hearing it in you know uh, that night you know and wondering and then when they didn't it was like oh they must be going in some other direction although then because i i'm an analytical nerd at shows um, you know, then I'm thinking like, but like looking at the clock, like this has to go somewhere sometime soon, which was, again, I think the first jam was longer than I thought it was going to be. The second jam was longer than I thought it was going to be. Um, and then it's also worth noting that the, the hydrogen is, uh, is a little bit of a mess. Uh, but, um, but it's like, uh, I think it was, uh, quasi intentional. I don't think they were intending mm. on it being a mess, but, um, Mike in particular, um, uh, I had to listen to it a couple of times to see whether he was just like, he rarely ever, uh, messes up or gets lost for very long at all. The guy's just an, an absolute rock. Um, and I think he was like, he was changing what his normal lines were and improvising on those composed lines, which then was kind of very understandably throwing Trey off. It's amazing when you've got something that memorized when you're playing on stage by ear and somebody changes something. And suddenly your muscle memory can just like scream like uh, Charlie and Black Eyed Katie, just like screaming like what is happening here? Um, and so the, and then Trey changes and, and improvises a little bit and it's all really sloppy, but it's like a band that's already taking risks. Um, and, you know, like it's a it's a small risk, but 
already taking chances to make the conversation interesting that early in the tour. Uh, and then that sets up just an absolutely monster week of bug. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, thanks for going through that. Um, yeah. Charlie, I want to hear your take on this, this second set or, or anything to add on the, the Mike's groove. I mean, the, the week of pug is just, there's yeah, a, it, it's a, it's a, as I mentioned to drew earlier, but like, um, I'm, I'm actually looking back to, to what, um, drew just said about the hydrogen. Um, I wrote, the only other thing I wanted to add to what Drew said about the mics is that there's a born in the bayou esque um, groove in there. Uh, you know, Creedence Clearwater's you know, born in the bayou. Um, that's a melodic theme that shows up. That's just really mesmerizing. But I, as I put it on Rec Music Fish on November fourteenth, nineteen ninety seven, I said hydrogen contains some excessive improv from Trey in its beginning. And this seemed to throw everyone off. <laughs> the version as a whole basically stank. <laughs> the segue into it, by the way, out of Mike's was almost identical to Raleigh 72297. Very gorgeous. It sounded similar to part of Crazy Fingers. Hydrogen, this 111397 hydrogen is perhaps one of the longest versions ever, which may actually be true. I haven't conducted that analysis and I will not conduct that analysis, but um, I, I suspect that may be accurate because of the improvisation from Trey at the beginning. But anyway, uh, getting to the Wikipog, which was magnificent. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just a complete tread fast, as, as Drew said, and, and um, it it's must be heard to be believed. It's, it's, it's the kind of week that we all wish fish played um, every single time they played the song nowadays. <laughs> wonderful it really is and it's it, and again it's a hell of a start to the fall tour i mean it really is it's just it, in the in the fourth quarter closing the set one mean, more, sorry we were we were crazy we were nuts one more note about the uh the week of pog first of all i'd like to point out i'm just noticing that it looks like charlie is using a pair of like 15 dollars headphones from like the late <laughs> 90s which is funny since he's like this like high-powered antitrust lawyer uh which is just funny it looks like have... it looks like a pair of headphones that i would have worn like on the way to this show to, in 1997 show, yeah. with yeah I, when I was i'm not kidding so. you i have i have eight or nine pairs of headphones uh around me including some high-end costs yeah and, yeah yeah uh, now he's gonna name drop some brands for us. So like I've got all kinds of these, but but I actually really like these lightweight. You know? <laughs> They've been my go-to since 1991. There's, a, there's actual scotch um, tape on the side. <laughs> 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 all right true, poor true. rj is gonna anyway. cut this anyways no, but, no, no. Uh, it's getting cut so, guys the, uh, so the uh one thing that's interesting to note uh, musically about this week of pog is that um it's maybe seven or eight minutes into it and um and it starts uh there's an acceleration that starts starts getting faster and uh 
Usually uh, one of those, the Celerandos, it's really clear that it's like Fishman has decided this or Trey has decided this. It's usually one of the two. It's never Paige. It's very rarely Mike. Um, but uh, this one, you can't really tell who it is. And it takes a long time. It just keeps speeding up, but it doesn't make a big jump. It's like it's very slow. Uh, build and this week of pog starts at around uh, 140 beats per minute and it ends up at 188 beats per minute so um and there wow. isn't ever any spot where it takes a big jump it just keeps on leaning forward and getting more and more maniacal and um and boy those uh i mean just back then the the whole the whole band, um, you know, there there was like Fishman's doing some like some some rhythmically complex stuff underneath at that speed. Um, the list of people in this corner of the music business of drummers who can play with that kind of speed and that kind of power while swinging that hard is like Jonathan Fishman. And that's the whole list. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just it like it's really kind of superhuman uh, what they do. And yet, like I tend to, and this goes for, uh, you know, I'm a classical musician by trade. I mean, this goes for the classical music that I consume as well. I tend to get it really bored really quickly with just technical, uh, you know, um, you know, with just with just just sheer technicality of playing. I can be impressed for a very short period of time, uh, but it's then it's like what they do with it and how they use all of those powers to have. A musical conversation that can go places collectively that other groups that don't have a drummer like that and that don't have a bass player like that and don't have the greatest guitar player on earth at the time like that and don't have somebody that listens uh, and is as nuanced as Paige is at like in terms of pushing grooves forward when you don't even know he's doing it or slightly changing textures, etc., um, and so it's like what they do with it. But this week of is like perfect, like exhibit a of, I can't remember the last time I saw anybody tweet about this week of Cause it's just, you know, it's an embarrassment of riches from that. Um, um, did I say riches? That was interesting. I thought I saw uh, it sounded like riches, but <laughs> you know, the riches, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's like, there. it's amazing how, when the band was, uh, at the, at the heights that they were in 1997, that something like this week of where I think like where the band is right now in 2021, 2022, just phenomenal musical conversations happening. Um, first sets are not only relevant again, but are like, you know, you, you, you can't, you can't miss any of it because you never know where the interesting, the, the in, most interesting thing of the whole night could be at any point at, you know, from the beginning to end of the show. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're at a really, really, uh, they're in a great place now. But like, boy, when, uh, you know, in 1997, it's just like they they just um, they were finishing each other's sentences in a way that is uh, that's hard to sustain uh, creatively, to be honest. I mean, it's basically impossible to sustain that level. Um, but they were. Um, yeah, they were feeling it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the we were just I was just listening to 10, 29, 21. So we're going to talk about it on um, HF pod and. Just the, and I was there and I, I haven't listened back to it in a while. I mean, just what happens in the first set of that show. And that's just like a random show I started listening to. It was like, this is just, it's crazy when they get into these periods. I, I do want to ask you guys because we might not have both of you on again before we finish Fall 97. Um, one of the things in the fish book, um, that, that they talked about was this tour, you know, the no analyzing and kind of putting a pause on like being really, really analytical about their own playing. I'm just curious, like, how do you, do you guys, when you look back on this tour, do you see that as a, as an important component? Um, what do you think about that? Is that important as we go along in this tour? Um, or was that just part of kind of the evolution of, of how they were, the direction they were going in? That's a, that's a really good question. Uh, you know, I, this sounds like a real hippy dippy answer, but like, you know, I think that they, I think the band needed every single yesterday to get to today. And, um, you know, and, and who knows what the impetus for that was that could have been when everybody was getting along great and just, you know, uh, and, and they just were like, Hey, let's try something. Uh, it also could have been that there was, you know, somebody, um, uh, you know, who I could, I could wager a guess of who that would be. Um, you know, the, the, un, the unofficial leader of the group, which the people who swear have always maintained that there is no leader of fish or precious. Um, the, uh, you know, who, who quite possibly, uh, you know, maybe was like, was laying into it. I'm not saying I was not there. I have not spoken to 
any of them about this. I want to be really clear. I'm not, I'm not spilling any tea here, but like, you know, but, but that, that happens. Uh, I've been in a group that has toured for half of the year, year after year after year. And it is like, you're in a sexless marriage, um, without the love. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's like, it's like sexless and loveless marriage. And then you're also like the businesses you're making art, which means that, even when your best friends, like the four of them are, there are some days where it's just, it's, it's hard. Like all you see is the rest of the band and a few other people. Um, so I'd be curious to know whether that rule, like, you know, came about to kind of help to preserve sanity or whether it was truly just a, um, you know, brainstorm to, Hey, let's try this thing creatively because they've been doing those kind of things for a very long time as well. Um, but I, I think that, uh, whatever they did, it's funny. I, I have lamented that there was no, uh, you know, costume set, no Halloween in 97 because they were just, you know, again, height of, the, height of their powers. Like, what could they have done with like, yeah. you know, a, Ze a Zeppelin song, you know, or a Zeppelin album? You know, I mean, they could have just destroyed it. Um, and yet I've had, uh, I think it was, uh, I think it was Scotty Bernstein. It was just like, yeah, no, I, I think that the, what, the lack of Halloween is what like led them to be able to just approach fall 97, however they wanted to. And it's like, there you go. Cause they did an album obviously in 90, 94, which was a slowish start to the tour. Did an album in 95, very slow start to the tour. Did an album in 96, very slow start to the tour. 97, like, came out like shot like a cannon. So, um, and then 98, there was no start to the tour. It was like LA and then, you know, Greek theater. And then we were like, you know, running. So, right. um, so yeah, so I, I would love to, to talk, uh, to one of them, uh, about that. Maybe I'll, I'll keep that in the back of my mind, uh, for whenever the next opportunity is that I can stalk one of them. <laughs> Charlie, anything to add on that, on that front? Like how you saw uh, I mean, this? It, tour you, you, you've asked an unanswerable question. I'm not even sure. Uh, Trey could answer that question, um, or Mike or Pedro Fish. I mean, yeah. it's it's one of those things that happened, right? And I don't even know for how long it lasted. Like, I, I, there has to have come a point where they started talking about their music and their live performances again critically. There just has to have. They're musicians. Um, I doubt that it happens before Coventry, <laughs> but I don't know. Um, but, but I, I just, as Drew knows, it's like, you, you have to practice. And if, if you don't practice, then you're not going to be that great on stage. And I, and I feel like, um, I feel like at some point they had to have had conversations about how they can get better, um, and improve and grow. But, yeah. um, but I think they were also when they, by the time they had those discussions, they were at a point in their lives where it wasn't, it was all positive, I suspect. I might be pre presuming a lot there, but you know, they, they come from a place of love now. And in a way, like the love between them really is like that of brothers, you know, and um, they just have so much history now. I mean, yeah. it's just incredible how much history they have. And so, you know, it is what it is, right? I mean, they, it, who knows to what extent they not being critical, you know, at set breaks or after shows, what kind of impact that had on fall 97. I, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you. However, I would, I just took a peek at the paragraph I wrote about the week of pog in my re my review uh, from November 14th, 1997. And apparently I'm not making this up. I said, Mike, Mike opened Week of Pog with yet another sick bass solo, typically <laughs> snappy, funky, and quick. The jam segment started lagging, though, and wasn't terribly exciting until Trey turned, stared at Fish, and started courting faster and faster to jumpstart the beat. And then I parenthetically said, Fish did appear to me to be dragging a bit, and frankly didn't seem to care much for the Week of Pog up until this point. So anyway... And, and of course, it got it became like this magnificent version of Wikipedia after that. But I just think it's funny because in the context of what you just asked, because I think they worked a lot of shit out on stage in yeah. Fall '97. I really do, and uh, and I think um, there's there's so much incredible improvisation um, over the course of the tour that you know. It, it was it healthy for them to do that. I, it certainly sounds like it was right. I mean, we're yeah. still talking about it 25 years later. So, you know, yeah. it's, it's amazing. Yeah. It really is. Their history is just a awe inspiring, you know, wonder it really is. It's just mind blowing.
Yeah. For the record, the week of Pog uh, did not drag. So yeah, the uh, the tapes. So, <laughs> yeah. So the, apparently, the, the counselor was uh, was distracted by. An apparently, nineteen ninety seven me disagrees with your answer. <laughs> as for the first five minutes of the week of Pog. It's okay. You can, everyone gets to bring their own facts to the table, so you can just you can just That's say right. no. It actually does drag, in that, <laughs> and you're right. So this is um this is an awesome way to to kick off the the fall ninety seven recaps, and we'll we'll keep exploring this no no analysis question and see see what people think. So I think it's a fun fun thing to talk about. Even like you said, it's an unanswerable question, but we're gonna keep searching. I appreciate you guys spending so much time here and and talking about this show. Um. And I hope you guys had fun in Las Vegas that night. Sounds like you did. Oh yeah, yeah. That was oh, that was a lot of fun. And people were people. Even the Love and Cup was fantastic at this show. I mean, it really was. <laughs> people were like raving, yeah, like was, running running time. out screaming from the show. It, it was awesome. that fun. You guys yeah, caught really a good was. one. It was impossible not to not to catch a good one that tour. And we're going to keep on keep on going. Um, thank you so much, Drew. Thank you so much, Charlie. Thanks for all your work for the community and and for music education and and for us on undermine we appreciate it thank you all right and we will see you guys back here tomorrow we are hitting these shows on the anniversary so you will get a new episode tomorrow we're going to talk about 11 14 97 so uh we'll see you there and um tom would say something like blaze on thanks everybody osiris Yes, we're out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together, we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Numb But the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now.